Word. We may, uh, right now my plan is to finish up our study in biblical words uh, the end of this month in September, but every time I look at the calendar and say, oh boy, we've got to get another word in there, so you, you just pray for wisdom there. The word tonight is such a huge word that we could spend a whole month on this word Thursday nights and not even begin to scratch the surface, and that is the word righteous, righteousness. comes from the word right. And uh, in the English language, uh, we have a right hand, yes, and a left hand. But why do you put a ring that starts with R on your left hand? That always gets, uh, gets me confused, right? No, uh, sorry. Uh, if you're in a car, it's down with the turn signal to go right, up to go left. Uh, if you're uh, normally, I was, what, I was at the airport in uh, Syracuse, actually, uh, Monday night. And the guy said, make a right. Well, I took the wrong right. Uh, but I found the guy that was going to the hotel anyway. And uh, so the uh, problem being that right is connected to righteous, connected to all of these things, people who are left-handed get a really bad deal sometimes. And uh, the word right simply means true. It means, uh, let me just read you the definition here of righteous. Of persons, just, last Thursday's message, upright, virtuous, guiltless, sinless, conforming to the standard or divine of moral law, acting rightly or justly. Righteousness is justice, uprightness, rectitude, conformity of life to the requirements of the divine or moral law, virtue, and integrity. Now, we live in a world where people complain and argue and and scream about standards. And yet, I want you to understand that you cannot be determined righteous or unrighteous as far as that is concerned without a standard to which your behavior can be compared. This is why it is such a fundamental issue When you hear people talking about, well, that's your truth. What they are striking at, what they are trying to accomplish, is the removal of any standard by which you can judge right and wrong. Once the standard is gone, then you have... People redefining that phrase from the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness to be homosexual marriage, because that's what makes us happy. Well, wait a minute. That, the pursuit of happiness, those words have nothing to do with whether you're happy or not. 
uh, put it in the context of the document. The document was written to the king. And it was saying and accusing King George III of tyranny, of unjust rulership. And uh, if you would study this at all, you would find out that these colonists did have very real and true grievance. How would you like, if you were living in the city of Boston, the king sent troops. And those troops were to be housed in the homes of the people who lived in the city of Boston. So here you are living in your home, and all of a sudden there's four soldiers knocking at the door. They move you out of your bedroom and move into your bedroom and take your children and move them out of the place they sleep. And one of them decides he's going to sleep on the kitchen table. And you are supposed to live in that house and provide food for these people and sanitary needs and washing and all of these things and laundry of their uniforms, etc. And you are to serve with little children and girls and young ladies living in your home with soldiers. I I will tell you, that is not the way free citizens of any nation have ever lived in any time period anywhere. And so they did have some very real and right grievances, but the pursuit of happiness, uh, i got to be careful, Uh, it is just... It was Thomas Jefferson's way of not giving credit to Jesus for do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because that is the cardinal rule of how we get along in society. When we treat others with integrity. Uh, Can we make a connection here? How do we know how other people ought to be treated unless we have a standard of righteousness to which we measure everyone? Or are we together on that? See, righteousness demands a standard. Righteousness demands something to which you can be measured or the Bible word is judged. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Wait a minute. When God makes the judgment, you're not doing the judging. God is. God is the only one that has a right to set this standard. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. And if you were not here for our study on dispensationalism several months ago, uh, we will not be able to take time to go back and put all of these things in. But let's look at verse 1 of chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark for thee... Have I seen righteous before me in this generation? 
And here's what God is saying. Noah, you get your sons and your sons' wives and your wife and get on the ark because I have been examining your life and I have seen you righteous before me. In chapter 6, it says, but Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Because he was righteous. That's why Noah found grace. He met the standard. Now, what was that standard? Well, God's standard was build an ark. He told Noah, here's the dimensions. Here's how I want it built. Here are the materials that I want it built with. Now you and your sons... Get out there and build this ark. Somebody said that's why they called it gopher wood, because that's what Noah called it. Gopher wood. And I mean, you're talking an awful lot of wood there. Uh, This ship was uh, roughly uh, 75 feet high. Uh, It was uh, 300 cubits, which would make it almost 500 feet long. And uh, uh, it was a big, big ship. And uh, no motor, uh, none of the things that we have today didn't need one. He just built it there, and God sent the water to the ship. And Noah's faith in being obedient to God's Word reckoned righteousness in the sight of God. Righteousness is something that we need. How was righteousness judged in the Garden of Eden? It was judged by not eating the fruit, righteous, eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, unrighteous. How is righteousness judged in our day and time? You say, oh my, there are so many rules in the Bible, I can't... I want to tell you there's only one standard. Righteousness is either believing on the Lord Jesus Christ or unrighteousness is refusing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to make a connection here. You see, many, many, many people say, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to follow all those rules. Well, excuse me. That's not believing in Jesus. It was Jesus who said, Ye call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say. He said, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Do, I, I want you to make a connection here. Righteousness, yes, is conforming to the standard. But righteousness is, in the Bible, the automatic result of true faith in God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then your life is going to start moving toward righteousness. Now, we have to be careful. There are people out there that try to say, if if you sin, if you have problems in your life after you're saved, you're really not saved. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
But what the Bible does teach is if we are going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it should result in a change of behavior. Are we together on that? And that change of behavior should be able to be defined as meeting God's standard or righteousness. No one serving Jesus Christ can say, well, I, I just had to go kill them. I mean, they were, they were so wicked and God, God told me. I mean, Rikers Island's full of people who claim that God told them to commit whatever crime it is that they've committed. And none of that's true. Believing in Jesus does not produce sin. Are we together on that? Believing in Jesus does produce righteousness. So let's look at Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, we want to take a few moments on this verse. And here in verse 1, we are going to find out Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, how? Through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How did we obtain, according to Peter here, it says that he is writing to them that have obtained... That word obtain means to gain possession of, uh, who have obtained a like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, we read in the book of Romans, a verse that most of us know well, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He hath saved us. That's Titus. You see, yet Peter tells us we obtain that like precious faith through the righteousness of God. Now, how does that work? Well, it works by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it produces righteousness. All of a sudden, you cannot make the wrong choice and obey Christ at the same time. Amen? And we will find our lives changing. The best way I know how to put it, God loves you so much, He will only save you just as you are. But His love is so great, He's not going to allow you to stay that way. God must fix you. He must change our lives so that we can be used by Him. And if we do not have righteousness... We cannot serve God. 
That's why in uh, one of the epistles it asks the question, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where, what's going to happen to the wicked? And so as we get through this lesson tonight, we're going to study a few things about righteousness. It, uh, it is a choice. There is things that we need to learn. But what we have to understand is God sets the standard. God told Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit. God told Noah to build an ark. He tells you and I today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, faith, if it's real faith, it works. Those works bring our lives into conformity with God's standard, righteousness. That's God's goal for our lives. So, God will judge, must judge. Let's uh, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans, chapter 1. In verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Um, this is why when, when we hear people talk about evolution, here is the most important part of what makes evolution work. It is attacking the existence of God. If there is a God, evolution is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Uh, if there is not a God, then evolution makes more sense than anything else. But once you put God in the equation... Evolution cannot, evolution makes not one honest bit of cognitive reasoning to it. Uh, you will hear those that talk about, even the Pope came out here just a little while ago, talking about how that God used evolution to create the world. Uh, I, I will tell you, evolution is dumb. But trying to say that God used evolution, I, I don't know how you even classify that. Uh, that doesn't even qualify uh, for uh, uh, anything. I, I don't know how you... All you're trying to do is pacify people who are holding on to something that isn't true. You look at... Just look at yourself in the mirror. All you have to do is take one of those little needles that you're sewing with and pass it through the material and just touch the tip of another finger. How many of you have ever done that? How come 
They tell me I have 10 trillion souls, cells in my body, 10 trillion. There can't be that many in the tip of that finger that that needle is affecting. But all 10 trillion cells in my body know that that little needle is disturbing the few thousand cells that it is making contact. Now, isn't that the way? How does that happen by accident, my friend? It can't. It cannot. The order that is in this universe cannot be explained. We have scientists out there. uh, They're kind of like the AA people. Uh, They will not admit that God is the creator, but they will admit that there is a creator. And if that makes sense to you, please see me afterwards. I will sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, I'll put the money in community building fund. All right. But uh, uh, people are willing to do anything to try to squeeze God out of their life and their thought process. That, that's what these verses talk about. It says there is no excuse. All you have to do is look at creation and you have to know that there is a creator. Look at this thing we call life. It is an incredible. We cannot create life. We write all kinds of horror movies about Dr. Frankenstein and we do all these things. And, and uh, what is it? Some group or company or trust or something has now offered $10 million to the scientist or group of scientists who can recreate a biogenesis. That is the primordial pool of ooze that gets struck by lightning and there's a one-cell organism that is created. That's where life begins. That is the essence of evolution. I, I want to tell you, whoever is putting up the money is very safe uh, because man cannot do that. Uh, the experiments that you all studied in school, that I studied in school, are fake. They were done in a methane atmosphere. Do you know what would happen to you in a methane atmosphere? Uh, that's natural gas. Uh, you have about 10, 15 minutes before you lose consciousness, depending on the concentration in the room. And when somebody flips on the light switch, the whole place blows up. And uh, because if those experiments were conducted in a normal atmosphere like you and I are breathing, the oxygen in the atmosphere would kill the development of any microbial organism in the primordial pool. You see, they have to make stuff up. God will judge unrighteousness. When you refuse God, that doesn't make the standard go away. It just brings God's judgment on you. Uh, Chapter 2, let's look at verse 8 here of the book of Romans since we're there. It says, But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. 
But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Do you get what? We're just breaking in on the middle of a great argument by the Apostle Paul here, but what he's simply saying is, if you are going to obey unrighteousness, if you are going to disobey God, there's going to come upon you anguish, tribulation, indignation, and wrath from Almighty God. And all you have to do is look around you. Uh, I do not know what the percentages are now, but uh, 20 years ago, when I did some research on the the matter, 12% of the population of New York City is on psychiatric medication of one type or another. Now, that's an old figure. I imagine it's much higher now uh, because any disciplinary problems that any behavioral problems they cannot diagnose is now, uh, oh, what's it come under? ADHD. I mean, there's, there's a half a dozen different things that they come up with. Uh, and and they're, uh, autism, that's what it, the new catch word. Everybody is autistic. I promise you, if you gave me the test, I I could qualify for being autistic. Uh, Anyone could. We do know that there are some people that are really hurting out there. And this doesn't help those that really have needs by throwing in every little ailment and every little thing and, and calling it all by a different name. What we need to do, what would solve, you know what the greatest thing you can do for an autistic child? Is give them a perfectly disciplined life. They get up at the same time every morning. They go to bed at the same time every night. They do exactly the same things in exactly the same order every day. That is the best therapy that you can give an autistic child. You can look that up anywhere. Because their mind is not processing events correctly. And when they, through repetition and discipline, do the same things over and over again, it helps them. Uh, How many of us could benefit from a little bit of that? Uh, Yeah. You see, that standard is important. God is the one that sets it. God will judge if we do not. It says there is no respecter, respect of persons with God. God is going to bring judgment and suffering upon the Jewish man, upon the Gentile. He is going to bring blessings upon the Jewish man and upon the Gentile. And we here today are primarily a Gentile church and we enjoy those blessings. The Titus 2.2, let me just read this to you. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Let me ask you a question. How many of us could use a little further instruction on righteousness? My hand goes up. I could learn a little more. And the whole idea of learning is not just the impartation of knowledge. 
but the actual regulation of living. Read the entire passage. It's talking about the second coming of the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit in convicting us of wrongdoing and helping us. So, we, we must make a choice. We must be willing to accept instruction. And it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. What's that last one? Instruction in righteousness. So, that's where we can go to get righteousness. By the way, that's where we go to get grace. That's where we go to get faith. That's where we go to get joy. Isn't it amazing? All of these things are connected to the words of this book called the Bible. Nowhere else. They're connected to the words of the Bible. How did Abraham get righteousness? It says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Galatians 3.6, quoting the book of Genesis, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Would you take your Bibles and turn back with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And this is talking to you and I today in our life. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Did you get that? How do we get righteousness? The righteousness of God is by the faith of Jesus Christ. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, just like Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto righteousness, so we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, righteousness is not something you can earn. Because no matter how many right things you do, you've still done wrong things. And we'll continue to do wrong things. So this righteousness that we need, we have to come to God. And we have to get it. He has to give it to us. The armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. It is the breastplate of of righteousness. If you were here when we did Operation Snatch, we call it the bulletproof vest of righteousness or the flak jacket of righteousness. Uh, it protects your heart. Why does we why do we need righteousness to protect our heart? Because every man will do that which is right in his own eyes. 
How many of you have ever looked at your life and said, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to, I'm going to try, but we plan to fail. We plan to do things that are not right. Every one of us have been there. Every one of us have done that. You see, the only way our heart can be protected is when it's covered by the righteousness or the standard of God's Word. That keeps our heart moving in the right direction. That keeps our affections in check. You can learn to love anything. And all I have to do is say one word, and and it illustrates it completely. Cigar. Does anybody know anything that smells so foul, so far away, as a smoking cigar? I I don't, I mean, some people, oh, oh, I love that smell. I want to tell you something. That is a learned taste. It doesn't come naturally. I mean, the the big joke is always they catch the little boy smoking a cigar and so they make him smoke the whole thing and he's green and puking and doing all kinds of terrible things before he's done and he never smokes it. Well, it doesn't usually work that way because people smoke and smoke and smoke until they get over the sick. Anything that makes you sick and you have to teach yourself not to be sick is not very smart. How about that? We learn behaviors. We choose behaviors. And we must learn and choose righteousness based upon the faith of God. And that's what protects our heart. Righteousness protects our lies from God's judgment. God must judge all unrighteousness when he comes to the Christian. Why does he not judge the Christian for all of their sins? Because he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all from un- cleanse us from all unrighteousness because We have confessed our sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation chapter 19. Righteousness. Let me just read the verse for you here. It says, And to her was granted that she should be arraigned in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this because... The Bible is not thoroughly dogmatic, but if the righteousness of the saints is the clothing of the church that returns with Jesus Christ, some of us could be in a big heap of trouble if our clothing in eternity is based upon the amount of righteousness that we let control us while we lived here on earth. I've heard preachers preach whole sermons on that. I'm not trying to scare you. Uh, Well, actually, I am. I I do want you to think about that. Because it's important. Our righteousness protects our hearts. 
Righteousness averts the judgment of God. Righteousness will be our clothing in eternity. Tonight I'd like to end with a verse from the 23rd Psalm. It says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. See, we can't cover everything about righteousness. Just not possible. Nearly a thousand verses in the Bible use the word one way or another. But I want you to think about this. Righteousness is conformity to the standard. You, you cannot judge right or wrong without a standard. You cannot judge righteousness until you have a set standard by which to measure And God, in His justice, in His holiness, in His uh, perfect nature, has set that standard at the level of His perfection. The only way you and I can measure up to that is by allowing Jesus to take away our sins. Amen? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are things that we must learn in the Bible. There are things that we must practice. There are choices that must be made each and every day to walk in those paths of righteousness. If we want our souls restored, if we want that gentle shepherd to lead us and care for us and nurture us, he is going to make us walk in those paths of righteousness. See, we live in a world where the new Christianity has no connection with separation from worldly life patterns and worldly behaviors and worldly music. That's what the purpose-driven life and the purpose-driven church is all about, the seeker-friendly church from uh, uh, Mr. Heibel's up there in uh, Chicagoland. Uh, they, they have a church that reaches out and embraces the world so that people who are unsaved will be comfortable when they come into church. That does not help you. That does not motivate you to allow God to change the standard of your behavior to meet the standard of His behavior. See, righteousness is very, very important to God. In fact, that's why Jesus died on the cross, so that we could attain to that righteousness. If we will allow the breastplate of righteousness to cover and protect our heart, it will make us walk in those paths. Amen? Our clothing for all eternity. Protection from God's judgment. And the opportunity, if you want to know what heaven is about, Heaven is going to be our opportunity to sing personal, personally identifiable praises to the Creator God of the universe from having our life put on display. That's why righteousness is so important. Because if we do not allow God to lead us in that path to cause us to do right things, we will have nothing to praise Him with 
when we get to heaven. And I will tell you, it's going to mean a whole lot more up there than we could ever put into words down here. And so, as we think about righteousness, let us embrace the fact that righteousness is a standard. That God is the one who sets it. God must judge all unrighteousness. The only way to advert that judgment is to have righteousness. How do we get that? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So that means that belief should bring holiness. Amen? Righteousness, adhering to God's standard, being conformed to God's standard, is what brings righteousness or holiness into our lives. And that is something that we all need. I will tell you my... Uh, I, I know many people who get caught up in the revivals of past days and keep talking about them to this day and things like that. There, there is only one characteristic that fits all of those revivals. And it's not necessarily classic among Baptist people because, you see, it is that personal holiness that brings God's work out of the church and into the world in which we live. Righteousness. Let's, let's pray. Let's strive. Let's ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would give us wisdom to make choices, to learn about righteousness and holiness and to allow you to do a work in our lives that will bring us in conformity with the standard that you have set. Now, Lord, we know that that is a gift of God. It does not come from us. It comes from you. Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll finally lay this flesh aside and embrace immortality and sinless perfection in the Lord Jesus Christ. But until that day... We ask that you would give us grace and strength to serve you. And Lord, that we would pray and seek righteousness in our personal lives and in our church. Before we finish that prayer, we'll have the piano play. If you'd like to come and pray, the altar's open.